Today's episode is sponsored by Expectful, a guided meditation and mindfulness app for your fertility, pregnancy, and motherhood journey. It's easy and fun to use as well as affordable. And did you know that science shows meditation can reduce anxiety and improve your relationships? Head to expectful.com slash motherbirth for an exclusive one month free trial just for motherbirth listeners. I also didn't want people, which they did anyways, to be like, well, at least he's alive, which I was like, I am so grateful that he is alive and like so grateful, like sobbing grateful, but like also, can I still be sad? We believe that not just babies are born, mothers are born too. We're your hosts, Lara, a labor and delivery nurse and aspiring midwife, and Melissa, a mother and doula. Welcome to Motherbirth. A space for thought-provoking and inspirational conversations about birth and the deep exploration of what it means to become a mother. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us today on Mother Birth. Lara and I are here with a highly anticipated guest. We were just looking and seeing that we have been trying to have her on the show since January 22nd. So this is way beyond third tries the charm in this situation <laughs> and we are so excited about this conversation so and we excited. know it's going to be it's going to be well worth the wait. So we've got Natalie Brenner with us today who is an author and a mom who has experienced just all kinds of the intricacies of motherhood and she's going to share her journey with us today. So Natalie, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Hi, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so I don't know, in a nutshell, I'm an author and a writer. I'm a mom by birth, biological birth. I guess all children come through birth. So biological mm-hmm. birth, uh, adoption, and also foster care. So currently we have four kids and two of them are permanently ours. Um, and I'm also a mm-hmm. photographer and I've been married for almost six years. I am... Um, yeah, so I really love motherhood and its craziness, but it's quite an adventure, and I try really hard to see it that way. <laughs> yeah. So where did your motherhood journey begin? Um, I'd say, so in the beginning of our marriage, for the first couple months, we were like, let's like wait 15 years. I mean, not really, but it felt that way. <laughs> we have kids (laughs) but then like eight months 12 months in we were like well we really like each other and wouldn't it be fun to like have a baby and bring a baby into our life and kind of like who says we can't go on adventures with the little one you know like everyone always makes it sound like your world ends and we're like let's prove to the world that we can still live with children um (laughs) and before we were married we had also talked about wanting to build our family with adoption and possibly foster care. Um, but we of course also hoped to experience what it's like to have a biological child. And so, um, yeah, I'd say the journey was, I mean, I don't know, probably began with that conversation of just like knowing it would happen and, or hoping it would happen before we were Mm -hmm. married and kind of just talking about what that might look like. Um, yeah. I don't know. I keep going. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Do. <laughs> I was on, I was, so I was on birth control for the first couple months of our marriage. And, um, turns out I have blood clotting disorders. So that mm. doesn't go well with birth control. So I ended up, uh, we just decided no birth control hormonally is best for my body. And also we also just kind of came to a point where we felt like we were so focused on controlling when we became a family and, I have endometriosis also, and so we knew it would it would likely take a while to conceive biologically, and so we just sort of... You did already know that before yeah, you started trying? Yeah, I knew that about a couple months before we started trying, but also, like, when I was 13, I got in this incredible, terrible wave accident where I, like, almost died, and I, like, they, they basically, like, did all this stuff to my body and they're like it's very unlikely that you're going to like have any eggs in your future like they did a lot Mm. of radiation over my uh like lower back sacrum area right where my ovaries are so anyways um 
So I was just told early on, like, it, it, it's likely you won't be able to conceive and carry. And then once I got blood clots, they were like, if you do conceive, like, you likely have a miscarriage. And so it was just always up in the hmm. air, like, unsure how biologically our children would come. But yeah. I just was, like, sure that we would experience it, you know? I just was like, well, it's going to happen. It's just, like, a matter of when, <laughs> you know? Hmm. Um, so... After we stopped using birth control, then it was almost like an immediate weird reaction where I was like, oh my gosh, I have to have a baby now. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so, um, like my mother instincts like kicked right in. Um, mm-hmm. And all my friends and my sisters were having babies. And so I kind of walked through that time of just like watching, you know, all these beautiful babies that I loved come into our life. And I was just like, you know, it's just not my turn yet. Um, and so anyways, about, about a year, I can't even remember at this moment, but I'd say about a year into, year and a half into trying to conceive biologically, um, we did get pregnant and then I miscarried. And we had also right around that time decided, you know, let's like just start the adoption process also because we know we want to adopt and how cool would it be if it happened all at the same time? Like how fun, right? Crazy adventure. So when I got that pregnant, is a great perspective. Yes. Yeah, I mean. we have so many people we talk to who have that experience where they're, you know, they're they're on a fertility journey, and then when they finally decide to adopt, then they get pregnant because you know there's there's so many correlations, you know, to stress and all of that. Um, right. And so that is a very good perspective that you had. Listen, I just want to say that I don't listen. I love you guys, but they're not like related, you know, like Mm. it's not related to my stress because adoption is stressful. And so Mm -hmm. they're separate, you know, and um, that's like something I really am passionate about kind of breaking down because they're not related. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. That's just like really important to me and just kind of like because that actually. So anyway, so I'll get through and people say all sorts of stuff like. You got pregnant because you adopted, but then that really, I mean, if you think about it, that kind of puts like this weird reward system on adopting and you know what I mean? Anyways, and that's not what anyone's ever implying, but like, I just, you know, I'm I'm really passionate about it. I remember actually that you shared about that recently um, on Instagram, just sort of that, how important it is to you to, to make that distinction between the journeys and how... I mean, they're, they're obviously related in the sense that you're a single person yes. experiencing them both, totally. but that they aren't, they aren't like interdependent or connected yeah. in that, in that way that, that, you know, that certainly people can assume and, and may be true for some people, but it's, but it's very important to you that, you know, that you both identify and use language differently, but also that you're able to communicate that with other people. Yeah, totally. Exactly. I'm very excited. But I think that. you're right on that. That is something that definitely circulates that people say like, oh, you know, I know this person or, oh, I know this story already. It's almost like. This is the like cure saying, to your infertility. and Right. You and know? I think that's very dangerous ground I mean, to walk. even when we were like trying to conceive and not pursuing adoption at the time, people were like, if you just adopt, you'll get pregnant. And that's just like not okay, you know, because <laughs> um, yeah. that just says that the only reason I would adopt is to experience what I really want, which is a biological baby. And that's just not at all. Like if you're adopting for that reason, you should not adopt, you know what I mean? And so yeah. anyways, that's just like something I'm so like passionate about. And I have so much grace for because I used to like say those things and like think that way without realizing it, you know what I mean? Because it's just a social norm. And so, mm-hmm. anyways, it's just I'm always learning all the things that I thought I knew that I don't. Um, yep, totally. <laughs> so, and what I was yeah. what I was saying was just that I I loved your perspective that like if they did happen at the same time and you suddenly had two yeah. babies, you know, for whatever reason that you were you were thinking about that so so positively and so open heartedly. I love that. Yeah, I was so excited, you guys. It was like my favorite year of. Well, the next year was the 2015 was rough, but so, so yeah, so we were like, let's just do it. See what happens. Pursue all the, you know, an infant domestic adoption was what we decided on. Um, while also pursuing or just like not preventing a biological pregnancy, um, got pregnant and then 
when I miscarried, I like obviously knew miscarriage was possible, but I, I was not prepared for how much it would like rock us. And it was very early miscarriage, which we love to like quantify mm. and compare, but it was very real, you know, there's a baby in there. And so, and we, you know, mapped out our due date and I called my special doctors for my blood. And so it was just like, it just rocked us in, in ways I didn't expect it to for some reason um yeah then I felt silly that whole time because it felt like well nobody really even knew I was pregnant I was barely pregnant Mm -hmm. and you know it just felt like there wasn't much permission to you know grieve and it was just but I really I dove into that grief and just decided like if I want to come out on the other side a whole and healthy person I'm going to let myself walk the course of this like darkness. So that was like really important to my motherhood journey of letting Mm. myself feel the pain and feel the disappointment and the loss of that baby. Yeah. Um, That's so important. Yeah. And so often I feel like women just don't think or don't allow themselves to. And I don't know, then it's just locked up inside and it's, you know, it's just hard. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. I'm actually doing some research on like trauma right now. And it's, it's so fascinating that, you know, there's, there's a lot of, um, research and language around how trauma and grief are so different from each other. And there's this really beautiful working definition of what trauma looks like in, you know, the mental health community where, They talk about it sort of being this unfinished cycle. And so if we think of our biological response to, to, you know, a scary situation that, that affected our survival or our safety, um, we would, you know, historically have like closed that loop by getting out of that situation. Right. So yeah, it was scary and you have this memory, but you kind of like, you close this loop and, and when we experience things like loss or traumatic birth or these kinds of things, a lot of times we don't ever close the loop. And so Mm. we get kind of stuck in that place. Um, but a lot of, I mean, what you're describing is, is so great because you used grief to close the loop of trauma, you know, and it's, it's really impactful. Yeah, that is good. I'm also learning about that through EMDR. You know what EMDR Mm, is? Anyways, so I just had a session yesterday. (laughs) And so we were talking about that. So it was just like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's so important to learn about these things, I feel like, because just makes us whole, like wholer, more whole. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah. for sure. So, so. Oh, go ahead. Okay, I'll just continue. Yeah, so we had a miscarriage, we (laughs) grieved, but even while we were grieving, we were like, you know, let's continue pursuing an infant domestic adoption and also grieve at the same time. So it was holding that weight of like hope and grief and loss and just like, it was so interesting because it was two different like things, but all at the same time. Um, And so come, let's see, that was in March of 2015. And then, you know, I think it was like six months later. Is that what that is? September. Um, I found out I was pregnant again, which I didn't expect to terrify me as much as it did. I blacked Mm. out. (laughs) Lauren thought I saw a spider. I was just (laughs) like sobbing. (laughs) Like not, I was like, I cannot. I was like, what if they make us stop the adoption process? And then what if I also miscarry? Like, what if I lose the two babies that I'm hoping for? And, like, I can't go through that again. Mm-hmm. So it was just a lot. And then also just feeling guilty because I knew a lot of women trying to get pregnant. And what if this actually works? And so it was just, like, all that guilt of the whole pregnancy after loss um, mm-hmm. experience. And so I just took that day by day. And then um, on the... Like, my husband ended up getting fired. That was traumatic. And so we moved. I was, like, 15 weeks pregnant, so sick, doing these shots twice a day to for my blood thinners. And then we moved to a whole new city, started a new job. And then two weeks later, got a phone call from our adoption agency. And they were like, listen, this baby boy has been born. Like, would you want to adopt him and I was 20 weeks pregnant and I was like we were like yes so here I am 20 weeks pregnant Mm -hmm. like still pregnant I was so excited to still be pregnant at 20 weeks um bruises Mm -hmm. all over my stomach and just like so excited to hear that I had a son that was born in Utah and so like 
I don't know, it's like eight hours later, we got on a plane. I'm vomiting everywhere because I'm, <laughs> I'd been sick my whole pregnancy, but then I'm also nervous. Mm. So then the ad- adoption, I mean, we were already on an adoption journey, but you know, the real parts of, not the real parts, but the like, I don't know, became much more real in those moments. The, like we're heading phys- to our yeah. manifestations of the parts. Yeah. 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 And, and the really emotional. Yeah. Part. So emotional. So we're just like on this plane and I, oh, it was just like so fun. I was so excited because I was clearly pregnant. Well, kind of. I felt clearly pregnant, but looking back, I was like, wow, I just look like I ate a burrito. But, you know, like everyone <laughs> we saw, we'd be like, we're going to meet our son and I'm pregnant. And it was just like so exciting. And I just was on cloud nine <laughs> while I'm like vomiting. I don't know. <laughs> Lauren is like, you're so <laughs> weird. And so, anyways, we meet our son at the hospital and got to meet his first mom, which was so incredibly humbling and heartbreaking and Hmm. um, you could, like, feel the weight in the room, you know, like the air was, like, thick, you you know what I mean? Like, when you just, like, feel, like, the weight of what is happening. And I'd say I, like, logically knew going into adoption that it was heartbreaking on one hand. But, like, until I, like, walked around the corner and into the room of her hospital room, I just, it was like it all hit me. Hmm. And, like, until that moment, I was all about, we're going to find our baby. This is our baby. This is our baby. But as soon as I rounded the corner, it was like this, whoa, humbling moment of, like, yeah, this boy will likely become our son, but he's still absolutely her son. And, like, I have no, like, space to be mad at her if she did decide to, like, go home with him. And it was, like, this humbling moment Mm -hmm. of, like, I'm pretty sure this will be our son, but he's just not my son yet, you know? And it was just, like, so weird to, like, have that happen, like, as I'm walking towards her and just, like, feel the weight of, like, grief. I mean, it was just the weight of grief in the room. Um, Yeah. And I'll never forget those moments. She's just, like, loving him so well. And I knew she loved him. It was visible that she loved him. And this was very hard. Um, and then we got hmm. to, you know, take him to our little rental house and set up our own little cocoon. Do you know what a cocoon is? I'm not sure, actually. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's not like a physical thing. It's just where, like, <laughs> you're like, I'm wearing this baby, and nobody else is wearing the baby, feeding oh, the baby, yeah. touching the baby, because you're setting up that yeah. attachment. This <laughs> hyperdrive bonding. Yeah. So we set yeah. that into motion. Um, it was so exciting, you guys. And I was, of course, still throwing up at, like, 20 weeks pregnant, and so I had that mixture in there. Um And so the next few months, so I was 20 weeks pregnant, right? So I had like, what is that, four or five more months left. And I used to be a doula and a birth photographer. So I love birth. I love your podcast. I love the birth hour. I love birth. I love all things birth, right? So Mm. when I finally was able to successfully like conceive and carry and like, I was like, okay, my body seems to be sustaining this pregnancy I was, like, ecstatic for birth. Like, I was that weird girl, you know, that's like, I'm going to conquer birth and, like, feel strong. And I'm, I was just, I can't even tell you. I was, you know, despite my blood clotting disorders and all the doctors saying I have to be induced at 38 weeks and in the hospital, I was like, I'm having a home birth whenever this baby comes. I was just, like, Mm. so excited. And so... And then it was even more important because we had our newborn son and I didn't want to leave him. And so it was just like very exciting. And so we set up our birth team. My midwife was driving from like an hour and a half away because when we moved, she stuck with me and I really trusted her. I trusted that she wasn't going to be a hero. Like if I needed to transfer because of my blood disorder, then she would transfer me. You know, like I really trusted Mm. her. I had worked with her as a doula before and She's just really good. And um, the whole time she was like, if at any point you want to change to a hospital plan, I totally support that. And there's no shame in that. Like, she was just so great. And so um, as my birth approached, I was, you know, I think I was like 41 and a half weeks pregnant. And 
just felt like I didn't have enough time with Sage, our firstborn as an infant, because he was four and a half months old, and he was a preemie, so he was extra small. Um, yeah. And so it was just kind of like that bittersweet of like, I'm really uncomfortable, but also like, I really want more time with Sage. So I was that weird person who was like, I don't actually want to go into labor yet, but I'm excited to go into labor. So it was like this weird situation. But anyways, when I finally did, I was so excited. Everything started, um, you know, contractions, intense. Um, I had the double peak contractions at first. So after like eight hours of those, midwife shows up and um, we're like prepping the landing, you know, everything's getting set up in our tiny little duplex, Mm -hmm. the photographer arrives. um, And then like, anyways, three days of laboring, this intense labor, and we end up transferring because Ira, our biological son, was asynclitic, which is when his, I mean, I'm, if anyone else doesn't know, it's when his head is like crooked and his head was like going towards my right hip. And so he had been mm-hmm. like that for the whole labor and just like his cap it. So his head was stubborn. Yeah. yeah. Very stubborn. That turd. I did so many mile circuits. <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> come on. And then he had intense cap it. So he was just like stubborn, stuck and swollen. So when we finally transferred, I think it was, yeah, only on day two when we transferred, it was just kind of like, okay, well, I guess I fought really hard here, you know, like I did really well for what I've been handed. Let's just go to the hospital (laughs) and, um, you know, I'll get an epidural. I'll get to relax. We'll get some Pitocin. Then we'll hopefully push him out tomorrow. And so, um, turns out my body metabolized both of the different epidurals they attempted and he just never so I ended up trying to push and so I pushed well I did push for four hours and he just never moved and so I ended up needing to go in for a cesarean and 12 hours before the cesarean I'm in the hospital and the doctor had said I need you to prepare yourself to have a cesarean and for some reason even though I have served women like so many times over, but I was like so prepared. I, I was excited. I wasn't afraid of birth or anything. I just, I just didn't even grasp that that could be my birth experience. And so Mm -hmm. I just sat there crying and like, it was 5am. So Lauren, my husband and my midwife are asleep. And I'm just like feeling so alone and like devastated, you know, like, wow, not quite devastated. I was like, just really disappointed. And I was like, okay, well, Mm. so I kind of started pep talking, like you're going to push this baby out, you know, like it's going to be okay. So then I, you know, ended up pushing, as I mentioned for hours. And then around 5 PM, they were like, okay, it's, it's just time. Like you've done everything. And I remember Julia, my midwife saying, like, you fought harder than I've seen like anyone fight. Like you, you like did good. You can be proud. And so as I was like, wheeled, back for the cesarean I I just like tried to reconcile like you know what I did work really hard and I'm not ashamed of a cesarean I'm just really bummed that I didn't get to like feel that that release you know through Mm. like my body and that's like a bummer but like at least they'll still place him on my chest so I just like yeah I really clung to that moment of like I've witnessed and documented that moment so many times of them placing the baby on your chest, you know, and, and like, that will be my victory. And that will be like, so like sweet, you know, it'll be worth it. I worked really Mm -hmm. hard. Make it all worth it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm like laying there on the table. I don't know anyone that's in the room except my husband. Um, and then they attempt to like numb me with the, through the epidural catheter. And they're of course like, Oh, like, can you feel this? And I'm like, yes. And so they end up excuse me, trying a spinal and they're like, okay, can you feel this? And it numbed half of me, but not the other half. And so he was like, uh, well, we're going to have to put you under general anesthesia. And I was like, no, (laughs) like you have to let me have this moment. Mm -hmm. And he was like, and then like, of course, at this moment when I'm like, are you kidding me? The heart rate starts like dropping and so then they're like okay everybody's got to get out so they're like forcefully moving Lauren out there's a mask over my face and everything goes black and I'm just 
you know, goes black. And so hmm. next thing I know, which apparently was like about an hour later, um, I'm woken up. And so, so because none of the numbing medication worked and because I have blood clotting, so I'm not numb, right? I just had surgery and I have eight layers of stitches, right? And so I'm not numb. And then also I have this blood clotting disorder. And so in order to the protocol to in order to prevent blood clots is to press on your uterus every 15 minutes for three hours. And so mm, yeah. I wake up screaming and like sure that I just am in hell because they're just pressing on my not numbed eight layers of stitched wow. uterus like really hard at least it feels really hard getting all the blood out and I'm just screaming like I am screaming and I just like I just am sure that I'm dying and they're like calm down calm down and I'm like I like can you stop and they're like no honey like we have to make sure that your blood gets out and it doesn't clot and I was just like you know, begging them, like, wow. please stop. This is like, like, I just, and so then I see Lauren, my husband, out of the corner of my eye holding our son, and I'm just like, like, no, like, don't come over here. And he's like, so proud looking. And I'm just like, I can't meet him like this. Like, this is not, like, I'm just like sobbing and in so much pain mm. and everything hurts. And I just want to, I just wanted to die in those moments. And I was just like, please don't bring him over here. And then my midwife is like, he wants to eat. And so she, while I'm like half out of it, she like helps him nurse a little bit. And I don't even really remember any of this. I just remember being so sad and just, mm. just sad, you know? Um, yeah. so anyways, the next couple days, you know, we're in the hospital and, um, it's just sad. It's just lots of sadness. And I really didn't want anyone to know, because I didn't want them to just assume that I was sad that I had a cesarean because it was just so much more yeah. layered than that. And um, also people tend to, another thing people tend to say is you're not less of a mom because you have a cesarean. And I hate that because like, I didn't even birth my other son and I'm still his mom. And so right. I just like, didn't want, I was so raw. I just didn't want I also didn't want people, which they did anyways, to be like, well, at least he's alive, which I was like, I am so grateful that he is alive and like so grateful, like sobbing grateful, but like also can I still be sad about the like losses that I experienced and like mm -hmm. the sadness of the birth experience? Like I had been looking forward to that for years and like none of it went right. I mean, he except him living, which is like a huge, it's a huge, that's huge. But it was just, yeah. like, that constant, like, well, stop being sad about this and just be grateful. And so I just really learned through those postpartum months once again, just like in my miscarriage months while we were adopting, that, like, it's okay to be extremely sad and extremely joyful. So I was, like, living yeah. those months with, like, postpartum depression, but also just, like, so incredibly grateful that I had these two infants. It was just, like, so extreme, you know, all those hormones. <laughs> so everything was just, like so intense yeah I mean it's like what you're what you're describing is so it's so important because I think that people either do fall into one of these two camps they either you know just push they just focus on like that what everyone tells them they should like you have a healthy baby it's okay like don't be sad and then they never they never go into to that grief and into that loss and into the acknowledgement of that loss or they get stuck in that you know in that despair and that defeat and yeah. and you know really focus on feeling like a failure and it's mm -hmm. like the real the real growth and healing is in that that space that recognizes that dichotomy that like yeah. you are so grateful for your son and for his health and for his life. And yet you are so sad, you know, that, that the things happened that, that were so, so painful and so, you know, so scary for you. Like you can't pretend that didn't happen. And I think that, you know, we talk about that all the time with people on the show. Yeah. There's also can, I can try to find a link to it, but there was this awesome article that was, um, circulated a little while back where they're, you know, they're starting to really show even research that like it is the, the whole, you know, happy baby, healthy, 
yeah. or, you know, ha- healthy baby, healthy mama mantra that you hear in, you know, in the medical system, obviously, obviously that's well-meaning and yet birth outcomes and like how, how like maternal satisfaction and the actual experience of birth is actually being shown to have such an incredible impact on, wow. you know, the, the long-term mental health of, of women and of mothers. And we can't ignore that. We can't yeah. just pretend that like, oh, you have a healthy baby and like you're alive. Yeah. So, so it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. I, yeah. My bonding with our biological son was, uh, painfully, hard like I of course loved him mm-hmm. but it was just way different than when uh S- Sage's first mom handed him to me like it and you'd think it's the opposite because I didn't birth him but like mm-hmm. that attachment slash bonding was like very difficult after our birth experience and how did Sage, you... it was so natural and so it was just confusing yep mm-hmm. how after that did you kind of integrate these experiences, maybe, you know, the, the super different experience you had with Sage then the second super different experience you had with Ira. And then how do you move forward with parenting them both? You go home. So that's the other mm-hmm. thing is you're, you're in this really unique space where you're going home postpartum and then also yeah. from a C-section, which is physically difficult. And you have yeah. a tiny baby to take yeah. care of as well. Yeah. Two. Cause two. Sage yeah. is only 10 pounds. He was preemie, so he's very small at the time mm-hmm. when I was born still. Um, well, he was a little over 10 pounds. He was, like, right past that. I think 10 pounds is the limit, right, that you're supposed to hold. And so I, I like, didn't hold Sage as much, and that was re- really that, – that contributed to, like, me being frustrated at Ira, yeah. and I would okay. constantly catch myself and be like, this is not Ira's fault at all. Mm-hmm. Like, this is so yeah. not Ira's fault. And so I was constantly catching myself and telling myself and reminding, like I would have to pep talk myself and be like, this is not Iris' fault. Like, this is just what happened. You know, like sometimes mm-hmm. just su- things suck. Like that's just real. And, um, I just, you know, Lauren, my husband got to stay home for a couple weeks, which was incredibly great. And then when he went back to work, I had people in my house all the time. So like my mom and my sister. And so, I, you know, nursed, um, well, I ended up nursing both babies, which if we have time for, we could talk about, but I nursed Ira. Please talk about that. It's amazing. (laughs) I nursed Ira, you know, and pumped. And so I don't know, I don't really know how to answer that question, but like, I definitely, I mean, you know, like I totally loved him and was like, obviously you're my child and like, I love you, but it was just like, I think so much darkness too, that it was just like, hard to disconnect the darkness from Ira at times and he had mm-hmm. colic so mm-hmm. that also didn't help and so yeah <laughs> yeah I think yeah. that's totally just... understandable and I think these are the kind of things though that I think are so valuable to share because everybody has those moments with their child where they just kind of look at them and they're like you're kind of the hard one yeah yeah and yeah, Ira's you're kind of not you're kind of not the favorite one. right now yeah oh man yeah and like that's just real like sometimes that's just I feel like Mm -hmm. every person has at least one kid that's like always hard but you love them like you choose to love them and you do love them like I'm patient and I'm kind and I'm you know like we we do love these kids I love Ira (laughs) it's just he's a little more difficult (laughs) yeah there's something really really it's kind of new territory for me to explore I mean it's stuff I've thought about for a long time but Um, I was actually at this, I'm in Nashville right now and I was at this, um, birth collective event last night with a bunch of awesome birth professionals here in the area. And I ended up chatting with, um, the owner of the collective who also runs this like event space and yoga studio and all of that. And we kind of got talking about like what our children's birth stories are like and how the way we, we, the way we process them and metabolize them maybe is a good word and how we then like talk about them over the years is incredibly impactful to our children Mm -hmm. on levels that we don't even understand. And, and I really, the conversation was really illuminating to me because she was talking about how her daughter, when her daughter was born, she, she used the term template, Mm -hmm. like, you know, how a birth goes can be like a template that, that a kid can get kind of stuck in and that we sort of can, um, add to that and, Mm -hmm. and sort of make that even more of a, um, 
you know, package that they're fitting into. And so she was talking about how when her daughter was mm. born, she had really big shoulders. So she birthed her head just fine. And then she got stuck at the Ooh. shoulders and like yeah. nothing yeah. she could do would, you know, would push this child out and, and you know, it all turned out fine. And they were yeah. able to, the midwife was able to kind of, you know, help pull her out, but it was kind of a scary and significant moment. And yeah. then she was talking about how her daughter, who is, you know, a little bit older now has this theme, this running theme in her life where she gets like stuck, like mm. in on a lot of different levels, like in, in, and sort of just recreating this, this template. And it immediately got me thinking about my, my first son's birth and, um, you know, hit specifically like what came to mind was how, you know, I tore really, really badly with Mm -hmm. him. And that's something that like, I'm just processing it so much today. It's actually like, I feel like I need to talk to a therapist about it because it's like, I'm feeling that I'm feeling like that energy is like, is really kind of man. It manifests itself in our yeah. relationship all the time. Um, yeah. and, and I know that I've contributed to that by how I talk about that experience, you right. know? Yes. And, yeah. and to just understand that like these, these like monumental moments of, of growing and birthing a life, like they can have impact, they can impact our entire, you know, our entire relationship. And, and, and I don't say that in a like scary, there's, you know, there's no way to fix it kind of way. That's obviously not what I believe or think, but just that it's, it's important. Like Mm -hmm. those moments matter. And to really process them and go to therapy. I've gone to so much therapy over this, but seriously, (laughs) cause even, even cause that just, yeah. Cause his birth experience made me never, ever want to go through pregnancy and birth again out of fear that it would happen again. And so, which yeah. like Ira's worth it, obviously, but you know what I mean? Like it affected and like, I just have to go through, I'm going through EMDR for it because it was just like stuck. It's stuck. I'm stuck in there. <laughs> My trauma's mm-hmm. stuck. Um, yeah, yep. that's crazy. Wow. It's good. Yeah. I'm going to think about that some more. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. Well, I do think, you know, and. Melissa mentioned this, we're both studying trauma and birth. And one of the biggest things that they talk about, it is these experiences, sharing that story and finding a way to actually share it in big ways. You know, maybe that's like you're talking about going to therapy, doing EMDR, and then also finding ways to share it in smaller ways. Like how do you have a conversation with someone at a birth event? You know, like maybe not that conversation because it sounded like it was really quality, but maybe how do you have that conversation like at pre-K and you're like, oh, these are my two sons. And you know, you, you, you have this other unique thing where you have to have, where you have a conversation about your different sons, your different experiences. Yeah. How do you find those? How can you have a one hour podcast yeah. full of talking about just one birth in a, in a right. two minute segment that's honoring and respectful, right. but then is also, honest. you know, honest. Exactly. Heal, yeah. Healing and honest. Mm-hmm. Totally. That's like my yeah. constant juxtaposition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ira Brenner, I love you yeah. if you ever listen to this. <laughs> Aiden Reeves, I love you if you ever listen to this. Amen. For real though. <laughs> For real. And it and it's 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 such yeah. a um you know, I've honestly this is such a timely conversation because I have been in a funk today all day thinking about this mm. and just really realizing like that you know there's you know, there, it can feel so cheesy to use the language, like we create the reality we live in and, you know, all of right. this stuff that, you know, you know, I obviously believe in the power of affirmation, the power of language, all of these things, but yeah, it can still feel like trite or, you know, like, okay, cool. It's, it's still hard, you know? Yeah. Um, but just really, really reflecting today on like, what does it look like to, to shift what I might need to Mm -hmm. shift in how I see or respond or, um, like position myself in this relationship. And then like, but also really shifting how I, how I see him, you know, like, cause it's really easy to see brokenness and both in myself and in my son and, and, and not that we pretend there isn't brokenness, but, but how do we shift from, you know, that being the primary filter? Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's healthy. It's, I think that's so healthy to process. It's a lot of work, but it's, it's good. It's a lot of work. It's worth yes, it. Yes, it's a lot of work. It's the important work. For sure. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I would, we would love to hear what it's like and what, 
your experience was with breastfeeding oh, the yeah. two. It's so special. So I actually don't talk about it too much like publicly, but I'll share here because mm. it's the place to talk about it just because there's a lot of interesting thoughts out there on breastfeeding your child of adoption, but I'm just like, well, he's mine. Yeah. So, um, yeah, totally. I was really hoping to breastfeed no matter when we adopted. So whether I, I had a biological child, cause you can do selectation, you know, uh, Mm-hmm. can it's possible anyways without yeah. having ever experienced pregnancy so I was hoping to do that if I didn't already have milk but I had milk in so um when we first brought Sage did your home, milk come in oh, while you were pregnant uh no I like tr- so I spent a lot of time actually in the hospital with Sage for some medical he's got like medical trauma but um and so I'd pump I'd try pumping my midwife was like yeah go mm-hmm. ahead and try pumping to see if you can get any milk out and I did get a little bit of colostrum here and there, but not a significant amount. Yeah. And I but tried most people getting... have start I was gonna say most people have started lactogenesis at that point. So the stimulation probably helped. Yeah. You know, at that point pregnancy. Yeah. So. I just didn't get like a ton, but it's okay. I, I mean it was still fun to like try and give him a tiny ounce that I got, you know, type of thing. Yeah. Um but I would try to get him to latch or I tried the SNS and he just he already had uh, problems with his mouth being his muscles being delayed so it was just like not working by any means because he just needs like he needed the Dr. Brown's bottles like size three which at that age he needed size one technically but the doctor is like well he just needs it to like shoot into his mouth because he just had no muscles and so there's no way he could learn how to breastfeed at that point just his mouth was mm-hmm. it was just not them so then when Ira came and my milk was fully there and I had my cesarean, I was like, well, there's no way I can lay sage on my midsection or whatever. Like, I just can't feed him yet, but I can yeah. pump for him. So up to that point, I had been driving all over the valley getting donated breast milk from people for sage. And then I started pumping. So after every single feeding for Ira, I would pump for sage. And so he was completely fed. Both of my children were completely fed by me at that point, which was like so cool, you know? Wow. <clears throat> it was just like really special. And so... Two months into that journey of pumping and cleaning all these <laughs> pump parts all the time, putting them in the fridge and not wanting to clean them, um, I had a dream <laughs> that, like, my boobs were really engorged and the it was like a reward, like, it, you know, it, the milk shot out and it would, like, that instant reward would be what got Sage to latch. So I woke up, mm. like, around 6 or whatever, and I gave him a bottle, and then about an hour later when my breasts were very engorged, I was like, okay, we're just going to try this. So his belly was already full. So it wasn't like he was starving and I just put him on and he just latched. He just latched and he just started breastfeeding. And from then he just, he just breastfed. And I just can't even tell you how much I cried. And so I was just, I took pictures (laughs) and sent it to my midwife and I was like, look, Sage latched and we're doing it. And it was like so exciting. So then I just did as much tandem feeding and they like would hold hands and it was just like, so stop. It was so sweet. It was just so sweet. And I, you know, like never posted any of those pictures that I always wanted to, I should, but they're all grainy. But anyway, it was just really special so it got to a point though I breastfed both of them well let's see so I breastfed both of them for seven 17 months um well I guess I breastfed Sage for 15 months because two of those months I was pumping for him so Ira was Mm. 17 months old and I had really wanted to make it to two years but they just like all night long wanted to just breastfeed so I tried like night weaning that did not work So I ended up going on this trip to Nashville for like five days and it was like so sad because I knew that when I came back my milk was going to be gone and it was like the end you know but I also knew like Mm -hmm. I needed to sleep because at this point they're both huge and I'd be on my back holding them with my hands so their faces are on my boobs like (laughs) all night just so I could get some sleep because otherwise they'd just be like rooting and crying it's just ridiculous. So I was too, like, tired to even try to do any sort of sleep situation. So anyways, so I I ended up, you know, they ended up weaning, which still, that was in September. And still Ira tries to breastfeed. (laughs) Um, (laughs) He, like, still tries. It's so funny. Anyways, so that was, like, a really (laughs) special and sweet time. Like, so sweet. I just, I just will cherish that forever. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's 
obviously it took a lot of determination and hard work and, you know, like commitment on your part, but it also, it also seems like that was kind of meant to be, you know, like just with, just with the, the circumstances, I mean that it wouldn't work for everyone, you know? And it's really beautiful to hear that, that that was able to work for you guys. Yeah. It was really sweet. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. So, so now you are, um, so Ira's like two and change. Is that Mm, that right? Two Two and a half in June, Ira, biological son. Sage is two and some change. Okay. Okay. Um, and then you guys started fostering not that long ago. What is what does that look like? Yeah, so foster care. Um, we are a part of a community in Portland here that's just like all of our friends, our foster parents and or adoptive parents. And so we knew eventually we'd, you know, become foster certified. Um, but at the time when we knew that, we still had two babies like under a year old. So we were like, not yet, obviously. And so, um, also though, like when Ira was like eight months old, I was like, can we please adopt another infant? I don't know what was wrong with me, but, um, (laughs) I just like was so in love with these babies that I was like, certainly we need to add a third baby. And so anyway, so then because that obviously wasn't like in the cards, we were like, well, let's just like start the foster care certification process because we can at least become respite providers for our friends, which is just like certified babysitters for overnight types of thing. Anyways, and so last fall, actually, well, there's actually a little boy in our community who's who was three at the time and we were like, he was coming available for adoption and we thought, oh, maybe he, um, maybe we're his family. And so we really got started to see if we could potentially adopt him. And then he ended up not being, you know, our son. And so we, anyways, just went through the process anyways, because we were like, well, we're already on the way and our boys are fun. Why not just see what else could happen? And so over Christmas, um, we weren't quite yet certified. We'd only taken like two or three of the classes and our home study wasn't done, but I don't know. I'm sure it's crisis everywhere there's just like a huge foster parent shortage and so kids are staying Mm -hmm. in hotels and like over a hundred kids in our county alone are just in hotels or on the DHS floor and so we just like yeah we're tired and we have a lot going on like Sage has a ton of therapy appointments like I spend hours as it is in therapy offices but we just I don't know we just felt like you know what like we have an extra bedroom and Yes, it will be more hard, but we also feel like we're in a good place. We both go to counseling, like we feel stable. Um, Let's just see if we can help, you know, become a a family resource for a kid. So anyways, over Christmas, we got a call for two, a sibling set of two boys who were ages one and eight months. So two more under two. So we had four boys under two. (laughs) And we were like, okay. It doesn't (laughs) even compute. I'm like, okay, is this like Octomom or what? What is this? Yeah. So that was wild. We were like, okay, we can take these boys for two weeks, but like, cause like you can do anything for two weeks. And we were like, but honestly, I don't think I could do it for longer than that. So they couldn't find anyone. Cause it was like, everyone's out of town and Christmas, you know? So we had these sweet boys for, you know, two weeks and it was crazy. It was so crazy. So many diapers. Um, and then they went (laughs) on to their next family who I think are going to adopt them. So that's really cool. Well, it's cool and sad. It's really sad. But anyways, it's just so many things. But so now we have so then a month later, um, our friends took in a sibling set of six and they live in a very small three bedroom house. And they just said yes, just to give the kids a couple nights together before they were split up. Because, I mean, I don't know. It's very rare for someone to take a sibling set of six. And so... We were like, well, maybe we can take the two younger girls and they're ages eight and four. And so we did. Um, and then a couple of our other friends took the boys. And so all of our community, they're all in the same community, which is great and does not always happen. And so we've had them since February 23rd. And which feels both very short and like a lifetime. And so 
Um, you know, we have all sorts of conversations that we wouldn't have. I mean, I guess we would have had with Sage eventually, but we wouldn't have with biological kids. Like, why don't I live with my parents? And what does being yeah. safe mean? And what does it mean that my parents need help? And why, you know, just like so many things. And so, um, it's just like constantly helping them walk through grief is what it feels like. Like, it's just helping them grieve <laughs> and like giving them yeah. that space to like, it's like, yeah, that makes sense that you're sad. And like, let's just cry together about this. And I'm just constantly trying to give them space to grieve that and not feel like they have to be grateful that they're in our house because we're strangers to them. And so it's this odd thing of like, mm, they have this. Oh man. Yeah. Right. Like, ugh. It's just yeah, weird. It hits so, me. <laughs> I know. Ah, I chills because it's just it's so real. And so, um, yeah, it's only been, what, like just over two months, two and a half months. And we've done a lot together. So, like, we got to take them to the beach. And we took them to the zoo, which was a nightmare because they ran off and thought that was funny. And it was not funny. And um, just, you know, like, we got to, like, I printed out all these photos of our short time together and put them in an album for them. And they just sit there and look at them forever like they've never had photos before. And so I get to also, like participate in like showing them like oh here are some like healthy like typical things that happen in a family and but Mm -hmm. I mean it's definitely a lot of grief you know yeah are their siblings still being cared for in the other um like friends of with by friends of yours I have yeah so two so one friend Kat um she has their sisters and then uh my friend Brianna who she like they became foster parents just to, it was crazy because they didn't even have any classes. They didn't have any home study, but there's such a shortage that DHS was like, well, we trust you. Here you go. It's so bad. Anyway, so it's just like so insane. So they got certified emergency in one day, which is like never heard of. And so it's just like really insane, but we all see each other all the time, which is good. Um, That's like really good for the kids because I mean, they've lost so much. Their family. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they also have three older siblings and we see one of them often um, trying to get, you know, trying to get in contact with the other two. And so there's just like a lot of trauma and getting them into all their appointments. Like right now I have four different speech therapy appointments each week, two different OT appointments, two different feelings doctors. And then on top of like, oh, like school and activities and oh, Oh, we should try to like go to the library or something fun so that we're not just, you know, so it's just like, yeah, it's just like a lot, to be honest. This is part of why it has taken us this long to actually be recording this (laughs) conversation. Exactly. (laughs) Seriously. Man. But I want to say and just say thank you for saying that, Natalie. I feel like one thing that's so interesting about hearing multiple people's adoption or foster journeys is that the outside world's perception of what's going on in those circumstances is so different of what it's like to be on the inside Mm. of that family, your family. And I just really appreciate what you said about just recognizing that even though you are safe, responsible, and in some ways, of course, there's gratitude to be had for these girls, you know, living with you. But really, the reality is that you're strangers, and they've lost their family. And I think yeah. that that's just such an important space to hold for kids going in and through those tr- transitions. And yeah. I think it's good for everyone to hear and be reminded of that. It's not, it's not just like, oh, they were rescued and now they have this beautiful home. Yeah. And isn't that the best thing ever? It's yeah. for them. It's right. not that experience for them. It's saying goodbye, possibly goodbye forever to yeah. a family that they've known their whole life. Yeah, and, so, and they have to yeah. live in this constant, like, nobody knows if they're going back. Nobody knows when. Yeah. Nobody knows. And so they have to constantly have this unknown doom of, like, uncertainty yeah. and anxiety hanging over them of, like, I have no idea. You know, and so it's just, like, really sad. And so it's just a lot for kids. That's just a lot for kids. And so mm-hmm. when they yeah. first moved in, I emailed all of my parents and were or all of my uh, family and was like, please do not tell these girls that they are lucky. They are the most unlucky girls to have been in a home that they had to be removed from and like placed in my home, which yes, is safe. And they're going to get all the structure and meals they need, but they don't know that we're safe and they don't know anything Mm -hmm. about us. And they, you know, it's just like, they have so many deep wounds that they don't need to be told that they're lucky because they're not. And so 
Well, good for you for communicating that with your community because, of course, yeah. they, people mean well when, you know, I mean, you think about how anyone talks to children like they mean well. Yeah, <laughs> you know, totally, and, and just totally. to, just to kind of cross that line that seems hard or awkward to cross and say like actually, you know, this is this is what's important and this yeah. is this is what we're really we're really centering in yeah. this in this experience. You know, we had another woman on the show who talked about fostering and and something that she really shared from her heart is just like as much as you, you as a person, as a human who has this instinct to like mother and protect, like you, you want to rescue these children, but actually you have to keep at the core of your experience of, of fostering that like the goal is reconciliation with their families. And yes, that totally. even though that's not always possible and not always even what's best, that like to have this mentality of being the rescuer and of that this is the best situation for them is like totally faulty. Yes, totally faulty. And like, I am, I really do hope that their parents are able to get the help they need and are able to be their parents because science shows that it is so much better to be with your biological connections, even, even if it's like, maybe not as like, it doesn't look as structured or healthy or like, you know, Mm -hmm. get the best meals or, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like that biological connection is just, it's real. It's very real. And one of one of the kids was, was already adopted. And so like, they already have the trauma of adoption. And so to Mm -hmm. now be in my, it's just like really messy. And yeah, I'm very passionate about just giving a lot of space for these realities, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we should just clone you. We'll because just keep talking about we it. We need more people. Yeah. Well, yeah, this, that's, that's why this is so important. I mean, yeah. Natalie, did you guys face any adversity in your communities when you were making these decisions? Like where people kind of like, what are you doing? Or. Yeah. And the reason is, is because our two boys are really a handful <laughs> and it was just really well-meaning friends being like, are you sure? Are you convinced that you should be stepping into foster care right now? And we were like, yes. And like, I know that we look crazy because really one of our sons really has a lot of, um, he like gets really dysregulated and he ha- it's just like, he just has a hard time. And so, and he's just a lot. And so they're both like two years old and two years old is hard and they both don't mm-hmm. sleep through the night. They sleep on our bed. And so it's just, um, you know, people, well-meaning people were like, are, like, I don't know, you know, and they're our friends, like our really good friends. And so, and then also some of our family was like, yeah, it's just like when you don't know about something, then you just, it's scary. Like you don't, when you don't have a lot of exposure to kids in care, you just think of the horror stories and you just think, oh my gosh, these horrible little demons are moving in. And it's like, no, these are actual human beings, you know, and like, they're going to be your temporary grandkids or nephews, you know? So I think just like, that is a part of it that's valid. Like when we don't know or have experience with something, then it scares us and, and other people want to protect us or, or whatever. But, um, I mean, it's hard where we're at right now is really hard, but I'm still convinced that we were supposed to say yes to these two girls. So, mm-hmm. I mean, and I told my friends like, yeah, I know we look crazy. Like, I do want you to know that I'm consciously aware that we look crazy to be adding <laughs> two more very traumatized children to our family. But I just feel very confident that, I don't know, I just feel confident. And so, and that's, I mean, I've been, I cry a lot. So I think that's part of my confidence is that I allow myself to cry. <laughs> but um, yeah, anyways, yeah, it's a so what do you do to support yourself in this season as a mother? I mean, one thing that we yeah. talk about on the show all the time is, is, you know, I think what some people might term self-care. Um, I think that sometimes that term can sound a little generous for what goes on in the early years of motherhood. Um, but how do you kind of get the support you need both internally in your partnership, in your community to kind of get you, get you through this season? Yeah. Um, I think as we added kids, that became even more important, to be honest. And so I've been much more diligent with that. So before, during nap time, well, I wasn't even super strict about making sure my boys took a nap a couple months before the girls moved in because they seemed to kind of be dropping it. So I kind of was like, well, whatever. But then once they moved in, I was like, no, we are all 
and the three that are at home are taking a nap. So during that, so I make sure that everybody, so I make sure that I have no afternoon plans. All of the appointments are in the morning and this is part of my self-care because then I make sure that everybody gets down for a nap and they sleep for at least an hour. And usually during that time, before these girls moved in, I would have used that time to work and catch up on emails. And right now I have over 200 unread emails and that's not like spam, that's like actual emails. I just decided, yeah. you know what? It's okay. I don't have to answer those right now. And so I've yeah. used that time to, I'm a, I love Jesus. And so I use that time to just like journal and read my Bible and just really refresh my soul, how I need to be refreshed. And so I just have decided that that's okay because that's what I need. Also, I go to mm. counseling, as I mentioned, my husband and I do counseling together to continue processing all the losses we've kind of walked through. Um, and then also we go on date nights. So we at least do one date night a month outside of FPNO, which FPNO is called Foster Parents Night Out, where the church actually has a whole bunch of respite providers and we get to drop off all the kids for four hours and we go out and do whatever we want. Mm -hmm. So that's once a month. Um, yeah. So just like ensuring that we have time together and then mm -hmm. just, um, as much as possible, getting outside and running or riding my bike. So, I mean, mm. they seem little and, and maybe lame, but that those are just really important. And um, we have a great community of support around us who also are fostering, and so they, like, understand. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, those are the things I do. Also, text groups, you know? Like, text groups get me through. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I think it's it's so powerful how the little stuff matters. You know, I think when we talk about taking care of ourselves, like the things that come to mind are like a spa day or a girls weekend. And, you know, again, it's just not practical for so many people for a number of reasons. And, and the, the reasons are obvious for you. Um, so you, you do what you can, but you also, you don't like treat those things like they're insignificant and like you're, you're selling yourself short. You like really allow yourself to be rejuvenated by them. Yeah. A hundred percent. I need yeah. it. <laughs> mm -hmm. We all need to do those things. Yes, we do. Well, I'm just, your story is just so incredible and, and really, very inspiring and humbling, Natalie. And I know that, you know, you look at your own journey and you'd be the first person to say like, I'm just, you know, just doing what I feel, yeah. what I feel called to. Um, but I want you to know that like, we're grateful for you. And I think that you set an example of, of the sacrifice that motherhood is, that is, is something that I feel like in, in these days can sometimes be the language that we use can, can downplay that or kind of move that out of the, um, out of the focus. And I think that, you know, motherhood really often is a lot of sacrifice. And, um, I think that you're just really, you're really setting an example of that in a beautiful way. So thank you for the mothering that you do to everyone around you. Mm -hmm. Thanks ladies. I really want you to share a little bit about your book too. So my book. Okay. I love my book. It's called this undeserved life, uncovering the gifts of grief and fullness of life. Um, it's just a memoir. So it's walking through our journey of different losses. So miscarriage and trying to conceive and endometriosis and adoption, um, as well as church abuse and trauma. And I talk, I spend a lot of time talking about just like learning that it's okay to grieve all the things. I talk mm -hmm. about my birth in there and just like my anticipation of motherhood and then like how much I do love it. And so yeah, it's really all about giving space for grief and sorrow is honestly what it's about. Mm -hmm. And just like, not that I'm saying we need to sit here and wallow in it. We kind of talked about that earlier, but like we have to give it space in order to heal. And so yeah. that's what it's like. The fullness of life is found in feeling all of everything. And so, yeah, it's just, it's really powerful and I really like it. I'm proud of it. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, we'll share a link to your book in the show notes on the website. Um, so that'll be 
easy for people to find and we'll share links to where people can connect with you. Um, we'll tell them not to email you because you've got a <laughs> long, Oh, please. Long... Thank you. Thank you. I need an assistant. Yes. Yeah. You. Your auto responder is, is, is working. Great. <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, it's okay. It's okay. We totally get it. Well, thank you, Natalie, for sharing your story with us today. We're just so, so grateful for you being so vulnerable with our audience and mm-hmm. with us. So thank you, Natalie. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mother Birth today. If you want to be a bigger part of our community, you can follow us on Instagram at motherbirth.co or connect with us on Facebook, where we have all kinds of behind the scenes stuff going on. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show and rate us in iTunes, which allows other people to find us and helps the show to grow. I think it goes without saying, but Mother Breast is a personal podcast created by Lara and Lisa. It's intended as general information. It doesn't constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care. If you're pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period. 